I'm going to jump straight into our uh, word tonight because I've got a little bit of ground to cover. I hope you're going to be okay with that. But it is Christmas time, so I don't want to keep us out long either. Um, and next week it'll probably be a Christmas message. But I wanted to finish the Set for Life series. So uh, we've, we've been doing this series, Set for Life, which is basically if you've got the right tools for the job, uh, it works better. You know, like um, pruning saw versus chainsaw. Come on, you want the right tools for the job. And so we've looked at things in general in life, had a couple of weeks on relationships. We've talked about making good decisions. We've talked about letting God set the direction of your life uh, and maybe something else that I can't think of. And um, and so I want to uh, continue this whole series and wrap it up tonight with money. Talking about money. Yes, the church talks about money. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Uh, it's the perfect time to talk about money, Christmas time, as a matter of fact. You know, there's a lot of different stats out there, but one uh, recognised um, uh, statistician is who does surveys is Roy Morgan, and he's predicting that Australians this Christmas will spend $52.7 billion dollars. That is outrageous. That is so much bigger than the gross domestic product of some nations on the planet will be splurged around in various ways from food to gifts to advertising to whatever. But 52.7 billion will float around the country at Christmas time. And it's like that is just crazy. Um, and have you noticed the Black Friday sale like became something? It's, it's becoming something. It's trumpeted to follow suit to Christmas at some point, apparently. Listen, even though we don't celebrate Thanksgiving, which is probably the one American holiday that would be good to borrow, for goodness sake. It's got to be better than Halloween. And, uh, but the crazy thing is they're, they're sort of saying it's going to follow suit and be the next big thing when it comes to sales and that. Um, you, I'm just going to ask you a question. Do you realise that it isn't a thing until they continuously talk about it. Stop and think about this. It's not a thing. But when they continuously talk about something that's not a thing, it becomes a thing. <laughs> because people get curious, okay, they get curious about what they're talking about, and then they get a serious case of FOMO, and, and they just can't help themselves, so they've got to go be part of the sale. And then they unwittingly create the momentum and something that never was becomes something that it is simply because someone talked about it continuously. Another excuse to spend your money. Uh, it's all about money. And studies show basically that one in three Australians is feeling financially stressed. That's a big percentage, 30% of the nation, with damaging effects on mental and physical health and social relationships. And the problem affects all socioeconomic groups. This is the funny thing. Even people with money, people who would we would look at and say they have an affluent lifestyle, still feel the stress, which sort of goes to prove that just because you can make it doesn't mean you can manage it. So that is sort of a quick snapshot uh, of money and, uh, and why I think it's a perfect time to talk about it. For me, you know, I settled the issue early in uh, church life. And, uh, and I think the first time I ever heard someone teach about tithing, I was horrified that I'd been a Christian two weeks and never had. 
And I think that was simply because uh, I was so grateful for what Jesus had done in my life. As a young guy, you know, I was uh, uh, 21 years of age and I'd been like in the car, the towny sort of drag race scene, blah, 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 for six years. That had just been my whole life, my whole world. I'd, um, I'd had living relationships with girls. I'd wasted my life. I'd been addicted to certain substances. And then Jesus came into my life and it was like, boom, even swearing the first day, boom, just boom had like a miracle, it was like a, a brain slate wipe and a brand new life. And, and then I had to walk it out and I found within a couple of short weeks I wasn't such a good Christian after all, but God did something amazing in me and it left in me this deposit of incredible gratefulness. And so when I heard someone talk about give God, uh, you know, 10% of your income, to me it was just like uh, a, a no-brainer. And I'd gone from, I guess, mum used to drag me along to midnight mass as a, as a working man and I'd go along to keep mum happy and that was the only time I went to church and, I'd, of course, you had to give into the plate. And I can tell you, I held my 20 cents so tight the queen had a tear in her eye and then I would drop it in the plate and go, there's my obligation for the rest of the year, you know, and, and resent having to even do that. And I went from that to just freely giving of my finance. And, um, and so I guess I settled the issue. But often we don't like talking about it. You know, we say that's a very personal thing to talk about. And it is. Uh, and, and certainly the church cops it. You know, our world is like, oh, the church is always talking about money. As if the world doesn't. You know what I mean? It, it's said in a vacuum, like, our world never talks about money, but the church does. It's like our world continuously talks about money. Just think about watching TV or even live streaming videos on different channels. Uh, the, the amount of advertising content to actually entertainment content. Pe- people wonder why people won't watch free to air. I can tell you why. It's not that hard to work out when you watch a half hour show and it takes you an hour to watch it because of the ads. And, and, you know, aside from the odd government announcement, every one of those ads is asking for your money, telling you how you should spend it. So, uh, hey, no apologies here tonight, if that's okay. Uh, and the fact is, for all the self-help schemes, investment schemes, financial advice giving out there, there still seems to be a lot of people struggling. Uh, and not just those who don't have a large income. So who'd like to hear some Bible wisdom tonight, some Bible thoughts? God's got plenty to say on this and uh, it can be largely summed up in one word, largely, not totally, but tithe, which literally means 10%. However, in scripture, it has a much broader context than what we often think of it. Malachi chapter 3.10, still great advice for us. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out to you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And Jaden spoke really, really well about his own personal experience of, of blessing, of, you know, this is the way I think of tithing in the simple fact, for this portion of a tithe of what we talk about in church, which is a portion of it. Um, uh, I always look at it this way, that God is able... Tithing, being, being someone who faithfully honours God with the tithe, is a display of faith that God can do more with 90% than what I can do with 100%. 
That's literally what it is. Uh, but it goes a lot more than that. I want you to notice if that verse is still up there. Yes, it is. Is that uh, the word tithes is plural. Plural. Uh, and we could think, well, that's, uh, that's multiple people because this was a call to repentance. This prophet Malachi was calling the nation in repentance back to God and it'd be like, you know, every one of you needs to bring your tithe and then there'll be a whole heap of tithes. But it's not. It's not a multiplicity of people. It's a multiplicity of the tithe itself. And so I want to actually look at that really, really quickly. The tithe was holistic. And it's interesting because when we talk about, um, you know, we give God a tenth, well, then God's got no more to say about money. I tithe, so I don't need to listen to anything else. But the tithe is holistic. And so I want to look at that holistic nature, give a very simple overview of a complex thing. Because uh, for the Hebrews, it was a complex thing. It's actually that complex. And after studying it now for several years, I'm still not fully sure. But I can give the big pegs in the ground. I do know that much. Uh, because they had a, a very complex way of giving and... Uh, and so the tithe was holistic. The first, I want to talk about three variations on the tithe. The first fruit, every year, they gave a first fruit, which was 10% of their income, and they gave it to the temple for the service of the tabernacle and then the temple. And it was basically the provision for the priests and for the needs of the people that came to the tabernacle uh, because the priests never had an inheritance. They weren't given land they were there to serve God. In other words, they worked not for their own future, they worked for God. And so God said, look after the priests. And then they administered the, uh, the overflow of finance out of the temple and out of the tabernacle. So the second one, the second part of the tithe, and which was also 10%, the first one's called Masar Rishon, by the way, and the second one's called Mashar Shanai. And it was one-tenth again, which they were to save up the first year of a seven-year cycle. So the Hebrews worked on a seven-year circle, a cycle. So for four years of a seven-year cycle, they had to set aside another 10%. Okay? And the interesting thing was this was for them to enjoy. This was literally so that they enjoyed life and they didn't just serve God and work their fingers to the bone. But they actually set aside a large portion of income and they were to take it to the temple. It's, we've got a very different social structure now, but everything revolved around the temple, that to take it up to the temple and eat it in the presence of the Lord and literally have a party every sort of second year in this second year, seven-year cycle, every second year I'm just going to go and have a party and I'm going to blow 10% of my income on enjoying myself. And that was an offering to the Lord. And then the third tithe was uh, two years that they didn't, of those, it's like the first, the second, the fourth, and the sixth or fourth and the sixth, fourth and the fifth, fourth and the fifth, I think. And then anyway, the two, okay, so forget about the seventh year. I know this is complex, but it's not that complex. Every year they tithed towards God's house, okay? And then out of that seven-year cycle, they, they saved 10% four times. And then twice 
they gave to the poor the same amount. Two years, it was 10%. I give to God 10% and I give 10% towards the poor, okay? Which, you know, over the course of seven years works out to be something like 1.5% of my income. And they gave that specifically for people who had nothing. And they did it in ways like they were commanded to not harvest the edges of their field so that a poor traveller, someone who didn't have money, had fallen on hard times, the jolly swagman, could come past their field and still find rows of corn that they could harvest and eat. And that was the social security system of the nation. It was based on generosity and on, on, you know, on people giving into that. And that was the Masa um, or Masa Anai. And, uh, and that happened on the third and sixth year. There it was. In the seventh year, they weren't to work. They actually lived off the regrowth of their crop. And they still tithed off it, but they had like a lean year. It's interesting, isn't it? Like if you were told you had to have one lean year every seven, you'd probably freak out. And yet I see so many people that don't employ God's principles that probably have five lean years in every seven trying to do it their own way. It's a funny thing. And so uh, this whole system was designed with one thing in mind. So if, if we just look at it, um, the master and I, that last one, the principle was create financial margins for generosity to those that are less fortunate than yourself. So if you look at it, there's like about 21.5% of their income. Plus there was another offering, which is a pretty obscure one, called a Taruma, which was 2.5% every year before they even began tithing. Um, if you look at that and what you see in Scripture, that wasn't written into but spontaneous giving towards particular needs they were maybe giving up to 25% of their income most years. Okay, now I'm not saying do that uh, and, and, and understand they were, 10% of that was for them on most of those years. I'm just saying there's a bigger principle than I just give God my 10%. That's what I want to look at tonight because I want to set you up for life because I've got no doubt that that's what the tithe was about. The tithe was about setting you up financially for life so that you could prosper, you would have more than enough for yourself and you would actually invest and generate income that would be a generosity overflow to those who were less fortunate than yourself. That's what the whole plan was. It wasn't just about church for them. It was about lifestyle, their whole life. And when it comes to spontaneous offerings, I mean, at the end of the day, look, for us earlier this year, I, I want to have a look at that photo if I could now. Okay? See that great man and his son? Not the guy in the middle. And Pastor Peter's here. We, we know Pastor Peter will be back soon. Okay, can we just, just have a look at the child and the guy in the white shirt? And, uh, and we can take that photo away again now. So these are people who are really precious to us, even though most of us haven't met, but... They're our interpreters. Me and Matthew have spent quite a bit of time and some of the other guys in the church with this guy. He's got a beautiful family and a beautiful wife. And in the bombings in Sri Lanka earlier this year, his whole family were blown up, him and his family. Now, thankfully, they weren't killed. 
but they all had shrapnel. He had shrapnel in his back and in his side. His uh, child had it all through his legs. His wife had it in her abdomen, you know, and they went to the hospital and were sent home, told to wait a few days until they could see them. Who knows they would be dead in three days. And so we heard about the need and were able to just say to the church, we need to do something for these guys. And in one offering on a Sunday morning, we raised $12,000, which is a lot of money in Sri Lanka, and were able to get those guys all the surgery they needed, get them straight out of the danger zone. And that's a photo of them just last week. And they are happy and recovered and getting on with their lives. Who thinks, who thinks creating a margin in your life so that you can be generous for those less fortunate than yourself is a good thing to do. That's why we do it. That's why hopefully if you've created a margin in your life, you can grab one of those red bags and buy someone a bag of groceries and it'll be like done, done. That's the idea. The principle of the tithe must not be seen as a static act like this, this, yep, that's just what I do and now God leaves me alone. But as God's framework for developing generosity in our lives. That's what it is. It's a framework of generosity towards those less fortunate than ourselves, towards God's house, and listen to it, to ourselves. To actually feel good about enjoying ourselves and reaping the benefits of a life well lived. Uh, interesting, there's a Hebrew word for the word righteous because we talk about being righteous and being right before God. And sadak is the Hebrew word that, that, that says that. And it's interesting, there's another word called sadakah, which is the word for compassion and generosity and almsgiving, literally. Generosity to the poor. And if you see there, the same root word, and, of course, A is an English add-in because Hebrew doesn't have vowels. So the added H uh, or the Hebrew equivalent of that literally means to reveal. Whatever they put the H on the end of means to reveal whatever's in front. So if it's righteous. So basically being generous to those in need reveals your righteousness. It reveals your transformed heart. God has indeed something done something in my life and it overflows in a very, very present and physical way as I meet the needs of those who are less fortunate than me. So righteousness is not just about owning the biggest Bible and being in the most church services. It's got a very, very practical application of how we outwork the blessing of God on our lives on behalf of others. Does that make sense? So in other words, the tithe is a framework to encourage the development of an ongoing revelation of generosity in our world. That's what the tithe is. And of course, people, whenever you talk about the tithe, people say, uh, if they've been around a church for a while, but is the tithe New Testament or not? Uh, there's a really interesting passage in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. And, and this is, to me, this is like really scant evidence when we put that verse up. Hopefully, maybe I didn't give it to the team, so I might have to get back here. No, there it is. It's like a, a, an interesting reference to it. Jesus takes on the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, and he says, you're hypocrites, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Literally, they would go into their herb garden Okay, because they're an agrarian economy and they would pick every tenth leave. 
leaf and take it up to the, to the temple. And Jesus says, you do that and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So in other words, Jesus was not just saying, um, you know, for these guys, he's saying, you've missed the, you practice the law and you miss the whole spirit of it. But we need to be careful that we don't do the opposite. Oh, I'm a good person with a great heart and whatnot, and I'm compassionate and merciful. And I think at some point we've got to put our money on the line to actually reveal righteousness in that way, if you, if you understand what I mean. And so Jesus there is reinforcing the tithe. The fact that Jesus doesn't talk a lot about it in the New Testament or Paul is simply because it was such an established fact for them, they took it as a given. They just took it as a given, like Jesus there. Don't stop doing that, but just get the spirit of it right, is what Jesus was saying. So, okay, now I want to wrap this up because I want to pull it all into us and I'm going to ask us a stack of questions. Are you okay? You doing okay? Okay. Um, and so Jesus is re- basically there. He's reinforcing this principle of sadaka. Develop a lifestyle of generosity. Make sure it goes all the way to your heart. In other words, it's not just, well, I've paid my tithe, I'm done. It's like, no, 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 no. You being involved in the needs of the world should be moving your heart and changing your life so that your whole lifestyle, your whole thought pattern changes. So how does this apply to you and I? Well, I think that if we look at it, and this is probably really bad uh, theology, but I'm just going to call it this. For us, there's like a church tithe, which empowers the faith community to make significant impact in the world. That's what our giving does every week. There's your tithe. Can I put it this, this way? Because we don't have a temple to go and have a party at. Okay, we don't. But the principle should remain. Your tithe is savings. For them, it was to be a celebration. And again, we've got very different socioeconomic structure, but people were able to celebrate. Even in these ancient times where they didn't have some of the prosperity that we enjoy they were able to celebrate simply because they'd saved they were told to save to enjoy life boy that looks different to putting it on a credit card which is a major issue in our society saving a little now and just as an interesting thing saving a little now is far more powerful than trying to save a lot later just so that you know uh, which is what you're tempted to tell yourself. I'm going to start saving one day as soon as I get my cruise out of the way. If you start work at 18 and save till 30, then never save again, you'll still have more money than someone who begins at 30 and saves the rest of their life because of compounding interest. That's just the facts. Who'd rather just do 10, 10 skint years and then enjoy the rest of your life? Start, start off with, um, it depends on the fluctuation of the stock market, but over a whole lifetime, the stock market has only ever gone up over the course of 70 years. It's only ever gone up, even though it fluctuates and goes ups and downs, so therefore interest rates go up and down, your return on your money goes up and down, but really, if you diligently save $10 a week, there's a good chance you'll have close to a million dollars, even if that's all you save. 
just start early enough. Okay, so I'm encouraging mainly young people here tonight, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Just put it, start putting it somewhere where you've got no access to it. And I mean you can't spend it on a house deposit or anything like that. Put $10 or put $50, whatever you can do, put it aside now at 15 or whatever you are. If you've got a telly run and you're 13, do it then and you'll never regret it. You start getting up around 40 and 50 and see that you've earned literally $260,000 of free money that you never put in there because that's how compound interest works. You begin getting interest on the interest of the interest of every year previously and all of a sudden it stacks up. Has anyone ever tried the cut the paper with scissors once you fold it trick? What do they say? You can only fold paper like eight times and then you... You'll never tear it and it's, you know, you can't cut it with normal scissors if you just fold it eight times. And it's ridiculous because, like, you cut it once when it's not folded and it's easy. You fold it and you cut it. There's two layers. There's no worries. You fold it and it's like four layers and it's like, well, that's a little bit difficult. Then you fold it and it's eight and it's like, I cannot cut that with a pair of scissors. And compound interest works in a very, very similar manner. It builds very, very quickly. So look, I could talk more about that, but just the lesson is save whatever you can as soon as you can. And honestly, it's part of the tithe. It's God's provision for you. He wants you to do well, not be struggling with credit card debt, not being tight and mean-spirited. I've got my money, but I've got no one to share it with. He wants you to live an overflowing, generous, compassionate life. So uh, this is how it sort of breaks down. Major on saving and then do some investment if you can. I mean, you're investing if you're saving and you leave your money there. But if you've got the ability to then go to super or to property or whatever and then have your parties and your cruises and go to Kakadu and see the park, Uh from savings, never on credit. Can I just say it again and again? From savings, party, yes, God encourages you to, but from a point of financial stability, not to make yourself happy before you've got it. If you, you know, the whole thing is you pay now, you will play later. You play now, and you will pay later. That's simply what it is. I know this is not a popular message, especially if you're an advertising executive, but it's the truth. And then there's the others tithe. There's a church tithe. There's the, the us tithe or the me tithe. Then there's others tithe, which is to the poor. And I think uh, for us, you know, we, that's not always highly identifiable. I know for Sue and I just personally, we've always seen our missions giving as that simply because I think anyone without Jesus, that's the ultimate in poverty in one sense, no matter how well off they are. So we've always made missions a priority in our journey. Um, and that can be compassion, that can be community care, meeting other needs, whatever. But here's the principle. Honour God. Honour your own life by getting financial stability and doing well so you're not at the mercy of the lender. Okay, and then never forget, 
that there's people less fortunate than you. And if you practice that principle of the tithe, you will develop a life of generosity that, uh, again, honors God and that reveals righteousness in your own life. The one who says, I just give my 10% is missing the point of the tithe. The one who says, I just give to missions or pet projects is missing the point. The one who says, I only have enough for me, is definitely missing the point. The whole thing is about developing a generous spirit. So here's some questions as I finish. You okay? I've got like eight questions to ask you. Just before I ask the question, are you doing okay? Okay, just trying to bring some godly wisdom. You know what? This whole world is trying to tell you how they want you to spend your money. So if you're a you know, Jesus follower, I'm just saying take your advice from God and you won't go too far wrong. Okay, here's some questions. Do I see my tithe toward God's house as an imposition or an opportunity to exercise faith in a practical way? I could ask it another way. Am I giving my tithes and offerings out of a sense of obligation or as a means to develop a generous lifestyle? I just know what happened in my heart. You know, as I said, I went from giving the the queen a tear in her eye with 20 cents to giving like paper money as a tithe. And it broke something in my life, this tight, fearful don't know what's going to become me. I need every cent. I need to hold it all together. I went from that to that. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give and it shall be given to you. Press down, shake together, running out, out of your bosom, literally, out of your lap. Um, For with the same measure that you use, it will be given back to you. So the moment, you know, when you're holding this, that's your measure. That's your measure. When you do that, that's your measure. That's what can come back in when you learn to deal with the demon of Mammon and put Jesus first. Then all of a sudden, and Jaden's just testified of that tonight. Then all of a sudden, and I didn't line that testimony up, worked brilliantly. Thank you, Jaden. Thank God might be speaking to some hearts. Here's another question on a, a different area Do I see what I receive, like wages, etc.? as seed given by God for me to prosper or as an entitlement for me to treat however I want? How do I see my pay? Is that just back off, that's mine and I don't want anyone looking into it? Or do you actually see it as, Lord, thank you for this incredible opportunity. Help me to treat it with wisdom. Do I see what I receive now as an opportunity to prosper through wise management, honouring God, or simply my next meal, experience, or fix? Another way of putting it, am I spending from a position of saving or not able to save because I spend first? These are difficult questions, but honestly, if you can answer them honestly, you'll know where you're at. And if you know where you're at, you can choose whether you want to be somewhere different or not. That's all. I'm, I'm not going to pressure anyone. I mean, you know, I don't look at who gives what in the church, just so you know. I don't. That's it. I just 
follow God and believe God's going to prosper the church and prosper his people and I'll pray for you and I'll love you and I'll give you opportunity on the same level of anyone else even if you don't kick in one nickel to this church. But these are things for you to decide. Where am I at with this and do I want to be anywhere different or am I excited about what I'm hearing tonight because I realise God has been positioning me. Um, have I begun building investments that will enable my generosity in the future? Just a great question. Going from saving to investment. Am I, have I begun investing in a way that means I'll be able to be generous right in the future? Not, I'll be able to retire at ease, but I'll be able to be generous. I won't be scratching to whether I can buy a coffee or not. I won't be scratching. I'll actually have enough that if need comes my way, I'll be able to bless. It's a good thing to ask yourself now because if you make a decision like that tonight, I'm telling you, for most of you, in 40 years' time, you won't believe how well that turns out for you. Okay. Last two questions. Are you doing okay? Does a portion of my giving reflect a heart of compassion toward those less fortunate than me? Does a portion of my giving reflect a heart of compassion toward those less fortunate than me? And then the next question, which is similar, is my compassionate giving a series of one-off moments or a recognisable pattern in my journey? Because, you know, I think that when we... If you want to know, how do I know I'm actually developing a generous framework in my life? You know, if you ask yourself, what is the pattern? Not not what did I do tonight or what did I do last week or what have I done for the last three weeks? But if you can actually look back over a season of your life and go, I can see that. Might not be where I want it, but I can see it. There's, there's that. That's in seed form. And, and I've been pretty consistent at that. You're actually you're actually transforming the way the Word wants us to. You've actually been journeying in obedience and it's transforming your outlook when you can see a pattern. And you go, wow, like my righteousness is revealed in that sense. I've been transformed and my life is changing and the pattern of my life is changing in a way that's God-pleasing. And I, I know that we, we all want that. But I think we've got to ask ourselves that because sometimes we pat ourselves on the back for a moment, but it's not actually a pattern. You understand what I mean? It's from crisis to crisis or good moment to good moment, hilltop to hilltop, but it's not actually a pattern of living. And yet God wants to prosper you. God wants to um, give you, a, a, in a sense, a stability. And beyond that, an overflow that flows into your life flows into those that are less generous. Who thinks that just sounds like Jesus? I mean, when I started studying the tithe and the whole thing, I mean, I started it to see whether it was Old Testament or New Testament to end the argument for me. It wasn't very long before I thought this is not even an argument. If in the Old Testament, God says you shall not murder and in the New Testament, God says you will not hate, it's the same thing. I'm figuring whatever he says about finance is not going to go down a level. It's just going to go up a level. 
Old Testament is do not commit adultery. New Testament is don't even look at a woman to lust for her. I'm figuring that. Of course, God raised the bar. Why would he lower it with other things? So for me, it didn't take long before I thought, I just need to get a handle on this. What's God trying to do? He's trying to develop a pattern of generosity in our lives and a pattern of wisdom in the way we build our lives. So would you stand with me? Because I'd love to pray with you tonight. And uh, I hope that's been helpful. I hope, you know, I think that's a real good set for life topic uh, because we're talking about setting for life. And, uh, and I'm glad we've already taken the offering. So it's not manipulation. You'll forget about this by next week, some of you. But, you know, we've got an opportunity now to just think, where am I at? Where do I want to be at? And I want to pray for you. So, Father, I thank you for speaking to every heart in this place tonight. I thank you for for people just seeing the next step on their journey, whatever that is for them, whatever that is. For some, it might be to actually test you in the tithe and just begin somewhere to honour you with finance. And, and I pray you would meet them at that point of their journey. And for others, they, they might be well established in certain parts of this pattern. There's other pattern, parts of the pattern that have been neglected. But tonight, you're speaking to them. You're speaking to them about saving and investment. You're speaking to them about wise spending patterns. And I pray that you'd help them right now with that next step. For others, it could be the whole looking after people that are less fortunate, however that looks then, Father, I pray you would speak to them and help them to take that next step in developing a, a lifestyle of generosity towards you, towards others, and toward themselves and their own family. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for just helping us, bracing us to take the next step. In Jesus' name. And if you're here tonight, you know, I know I've talked about money, but I hope that you can see where it's coming from. God has a heart for people. God isn't glorified by people who struggle, whether it's in their relationships or their finances or whatever sphere of life. God wants us to do well because he's created you in his image. He wants you to reflect his goodness. He wants you to reveal his righteousness, what is right about the world. He wants to reveal it through you. And maybe tonight, you know, you haven't journeyed with God. You've got this far in life, but God hasn't been part of the journey. And tonight, you'd say to me, I think, Pastor Chris, I'd like, I'd like Jesus to be part of my journey from this point on. You know, whatever you're doing with the message, you know, you can walk out of here and miss the message. That's okay. But friend, don't walk out of here and miss Jesus, whatever you do. And so if, if you are here in this place and maybe church isn't your regular thing, or maybe you have been in church a bit, but you've never really opened your heart and surrendered to Jesus. And tonight you'd say, Chris, I want to do that then just while we're in this moment, people have got their heads bowed and it's just like a holy moment. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are and I'll acknowledge it and you can put it down again. I'll try and see you through the lights. It's not all that easy. God bless you, mate. That is a fantastic decision. Yeah, others in this place. Come on, if that's you, you can raise your hand. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down again. And then we're all going to pray together just as a congregation in the last moment of the service. But I don't want to rush it. Just give it one more moment. If that's you and you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus and tonight you, you want to, you want Jesus in your journey. You want to open your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life and help me. If that's you, one more moment. I'm looking across one more time. If that's you, friend, just raise your hand. Fabulous. That is awesome. 
That is awesome. Hey, why don't we celebrate people who just did that? Because that's a great, that is a great thing to do. And uh, let's pray this together. And if you responded, whether you raised your hand or not, I just encourage you, make this a prayer that helps you open your heart to Jesus personally. Not just me praying for you, but, but you opening your own heart to God. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I'll follow you. Amen. 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 Okay, I've gone a little bit long. I reckon it was worth it. For one young person to start saving now and reap the benefits of that in 40 years' time, we've all stayed 11 minutes too long. Amen.